0: All right, well, let me get started here with saying that I have not preached in this city uh, for over 12 years. Um, I'm blessed to be here with you guys this morning, and uh, my dad's here, uh, bonus dad, my other dad's with Jesus, but he always says, when I say, Dad, how you doing? He says, I'm blessed to see another day, and I I stole that from you. And I've been saying it for a long time now, well, I don't know how long, maybe a couple years now, I finally woke up to the reality that that is a good thing to say. And uh, I'm blessed to be here with you this morning, blessed to see another day. Every day is a gift. Nothing is guaranteed. So this moment right now is really important. Really important, right where you're sitting, not where I'm sitting, but right where you're sitting. It's important for me, because I'm here, I'm sitting up here, but it's important for you, because you're sitting right where you're at. It's an important day. So my wife, Erica, the better half of my life, she's over there, raise your hand, raise your hand. There she is. Uh, We've been married going on 25 years this next year and um, she's my best friend, known her for, what, we met when we were 12, right? And she thought I was an idiot and didn't think I was cool until I was about 22. I was fully cooked when I was 22. Not really, but um, I'm sorry, I don't tell funny jokes, I'm just This is just who I am. I'm funny looking. So I'm just going to tell some stories. And um, so we raised our kids here in Lincoln for a good 15 years and uh, pioneered ministry here in Lincoln at Heritage Church uh, from 2000 to 2011. Uh, We were serving in that community in many capacities as a college-age pastor, associate pastor, youth pastor, uh, head janitor. Um, I I did a lot. Austin knows all about that. Uh, mowing a lot of lawns at the church property back in the day. But in 2014, after I finished my education at William Jessup University, we moved away. We felt a call of God. And uh, we felt a call of God to different regions. And uh, we went out to Utah for a minute, and then we felt a call of God to Santa Cruz. And we spent a good almost five years in Santa Cruz ministering to that community there. And then most recently, we were in uh, Plasterville for two years, felt a call there during covid um, and uh, we're ministering there. And now we're here, we are back home. We've been here for five months and this is like a homecoming for me, it really is. It, it's, it's incredible and it's a blessing, an amazing opportunity to be with you guys. But one thing that you really need to know about me, besides that I'm a wing nut and a whack job and I love, I love, love Jesus, that's what you need to know about me. I'll do anything, you know, for the Lord. I've been in, I've been in rooms where, this may sound insensitive, but oh well. I've been in rooms where there was a dead body. Someone had just passed away, and I'm looking at somebody, and I'm like, let's pray for this person. Maybe they can come back. And they were like, uh, and there was no faith for it. Maybe it would have happened. Maybe it wouldn't have. I, I don't know. I've tried to walk on water. Anybody try to do that? It hasn't worked for me yet. Learn to swim is all I got to say. If you try it, learn to swim before you do it. First <laughs> one, But... In all sincerity, Jesus guides my life. He guides my life. And I, I wait for him to return. He actually is coming back, guys. Yeah, hallelujah. And I'd like to say that my wife and I, we spent about eight years as American missionaries. And I've, I've said that over the years, but the reality of it is, is that if you are a follower of Christ, you are a missionary right where you're standing. Scripture says that, Stephen, in, in the preaching of Stephen in the book of Acts, Scripture says God doesn't dwell in buildings or temples. He dwells in the human heart of the believer. So what does that mean? Wherever your feet are standing, church is on. Yeah. Can I get an amen? Thank, Thank you, pastor. You. <laughs> Thank you very much. But the reality, again, also is to live a life close to your Lord and Savior and live out the great commission, Matthew 28, 19, right? Go into all the earth, baptize, teach, and preach that more people would know who I am, right? We're called to do that, to be salt, to be light, to preserve, to heal, to disciple, to bring truth, to preach, to make more followers of Christ. If you are a believer this morning, your life is a continuation of the book of Acts. There's no period in the book of Acts. It has been continuing for 2,000 years, guys, close to it. I'm not gonna give you the exact number to bore you, but for over two, close to 2,000 years, Jesus has been calling people. He's been calling people to himself. And trying to live out that great commission as a believer in Christ, being true to your convictions, and then allowing the other convictions inside of you that need to die, die, is a hard thing to do when you live in a world that is just geared to tear you down. And geared to make you slip and trip and fall. It takes faith to live out the call of Jesus in this world. Scripture says that faith is, the th- is belief in the things hoped for, belief in something you cannot see. I'd also like to say that it's a belief in a future grace that fuels the present, right? Wherever you're standing, oh believer of Jesus, wherever you're standing, church is on. That means he wants to speak through you. He wants to heal through you. He wants to bring love through you, his love. But I'm always asking questions. So faith in what? It takes faith, but faith in what? I would suggest that it's a faith in a who, and then it's a what. You got to get the who right, then you'll get the what Right, You guys tracking with me? So for a long time, for millennia, we've heard people get up in front of the body of Christ and do what I'm doing right now and teach a word, preach a word, bring something from the word. And what to believe over time, somehow, some way gets obscured. Whatever it is, You can look throughout history and you see these obscurings of the word of God being put in front of the people. Most notably, the one that you can really see most plainly is during the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century. People were coming into buildings like this and hearing somebody do what I'm doing right now, not in their own language. They couldn't even understand what was being said. So your experience was I don't know what you're saying, come on up and eat some, eat a cracker and drink some juice and go home. God said, nah, not on my watch, not for long. And he raises up people that drag people back to the scripture, to the truth, so that the lights can get turned on. It's as if over the years, the spiritual fervor and fire has to be stoked and kindled in the life of a believer. It's this continual, daily process. Now I wanna stir you up this morning by way of a reminder, I'm gonna steal that from Peter. And we're gonna look to Jesus when he asks a question of his disciples that I believe sheds light on this very thing that we're talking about this morning. Faith in who? And faith in what? If you have a Bible this morning, you can open it up to Matthew chapter 16. We're gonna have it up here on the screens for you as well because we're a cool church like that. Um, Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 through 23. I'm gonna read this out. Now when Jesus had come to the district of Caesarea Philippi, He asked his disciples, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. The word of God, ladies and gentlemen. What Jesus is saying in this moment is he's asking What do people believe about me? He says, what are people saying about me? But we get from the text that what he's really asking is what do people believe about me? Why, because we get this amazing confession of Peter, of who Jesus is, and he actually, we get a confirmation. Jesus is like, high five, dude, you got it. Ding, 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 winner, winner, chicken dinner, you got it, right? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Christ in the Greek is translated as Messiah. He is the anointed one of God. Not only that, the son of the living God. What we believe about Jesus is everything. It's everything. Who you believe Jesus to be determines the direction of your life. It determines your words. It determines the way that you love. It determines how you forgive. It determines where you live. How you even work. Your very eternity hinges on who you believe Jesus to be. See, Peter got it right, but he did not know how right he got it. We're gonna get into that. I think that Jesus would be asking us some questions today along with this question, who do you say that I am? This question would be is do you believe that I am real and that I came from God? He's asking us that question this morning. I come to grips with that every single day. I don't know about y'all but it's, it's just me. I'm constantly questioning and things take place in your life. You're like, are you really? Are you really real? Like, really? And then something takes place. You're like, oh yeah, you are definitely real. Makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up and stuff. Jesus said of himself, when he was talking about believing in who he is and believing that he's real and believing that he came from God. In John chapter six, it's an amazing chapter of scripture I recommend it to anybody. I recommend the whole Bible, but John chapter six is amazing. He says this, this is the work of God to believe on the one whom he sent. So at the time people were just like really wondering how they can get close to God and everything revolved around a list of things that you do in order to be more holy, especially in the first century Judaism. They had laws that protected laws. You didn't even spit on the ground on the a, on a, on a Sabbath because accidentally you might kick it and it roll in the dirt and you make mud. Therefore, you worked and you sinned. Yeah, Aaron gets the joke, that's funny. That's my brother over there laughing. We got the same sense of humor. Funny, not funny, right? That's like, what are you lost? You lost your mind. That's crazy. And Jesus looks at him boldly in the face and says this is the work of God to believe on the one that he has sent. Meaning, mean there's no list of hierarchy. There's no list of things to do. There is one thing to do. Jesus uses that phrase the son of man. It was his favorite distinction for himself. And some of the prophets used that frame as well where you read some of the prophets like ezekiel the angel comes and says son of man and calls him the son of man but there's this mystery text in the bible at that time the jews were kind of like what is this we don't completely understand this and jesus walking around calling himself the son of man standing in caesarea philippi and says you got it peter i am the son of the living god I am the Messiah. Listen to what it says in Daniel chapter 7, written 600 years before Jesus says this in Caesarea Philippi. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days, that is God, and he was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. His kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Can you see how the question that Jesus asks and the answer that comes is directly intermingled with that text? I mean, the imagery in the text itself, we're going to get into it just for a second, is startling and we we can't miss it. Coupled with the confession of Peter in that moment, we get to see this mystery text actually fulfilled. Jesus reaches into the Israelite past and he brings something to bear and says, it's me, guys. I am the one that you've been waiting for. And he's sitting in a city that for millennia. For thousands of years, the god Baal was worshipped in this community. Then when Alexander the Great kicked everybody's butt and took over, they began to worship the god Pan in this city. And the temple was built kind of three-sided, and it was built into a mountainside. Here's a picture of it for you here. You can actually go and see this place. Um, And what you see here is little niches where they would put uh, uh, images of the gods, or god. It was Pan or Baal. And they built the temple in the side of this hill. And to the left here, you can see right here to the left, there's a huge cave that goes in. That's not the cave, but that's just the niches. But go back to that other picture. One more. There it is. There's a huge, see that dark spot right there on the left? That's a huge cave that goes back inside of the hillside and. They believed, so the temple surrounded that cave, and they believed that from that cave came out the spirit of the God. First, it was Baal. You wouldn't want to worship this dude. He was horrible. Pan was even worse. The half goat, half man with pitchfork comes from this, the God of Pan or God Pan, the Greek God. He's this half goat, half man looking thing. And so Jesus is in this region. They don't know if he was standing around this or in front of this, but he's in that region where this was taking place. And not only that, ladies and gentlemen, at that time in history, the city was named Caesarea Philippi, built by Philip the Tetrarch, who was the grandson of of Herod the Great. He built this city because he loved Rome so much and he named it after Caesar. And then he put his name after it because he loved himself so much. So Caesarea Philippi, that's how you get those. It's true, that's how you get those. And he built a temple to Caesar in that, in that city. I want you to think about that for just a minute. So you got this place that has been a place of worship for thousands of years where wicked things were taking place. I mean, I don't, I'm not gonna repeat all the things, but. And then you have this temple that's dedicated to a living person who's just a guy. So think, think about this for a minute. What if somebody today in Lincoln built a temple to Joe Biden? What if somebody built a temple in Lincoln for Donald Trump? When you walk in, everybody gets a diaper so you can put it on your head because you need a mind diaper to be in there. Get it all out once you get it in. Anyway, I'm sorry. But I want you to think about that just for a second because that's what was going on. Jesus is standing in that context, guys. He's standing there in that context and he's saying, I am the Son of Man. I am above all of this. I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. And he's outside of Israel. So he's showing and he's connecting with Daniel 7. He's outside of Israel. He is saying that my message is for everyone, every tribe, every nation, every tongue. It is for everyone. He's making this declaration. Guys, it, it, it's, it's incredible. I don't know if you're as stoked about it as I am, but I'm, I'm stoked. I'm, I love hearing who Jesus is because it's, it, that means everything to me. And you could hear... The voice of the Apostle Paul in the book of Colossians, even in the background, is Jesus is standing in Caesarea Philippi and saying, who am I? Who am I? And Peter says, that's who you are. And Jesus is like, yeah, that's right. But you don't know how right. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in the book of Colossians, chapter one, verse 15 and 18. Speaking of Jesus, he says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things, say All things. We're created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things, say all things, we're created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything, say everything, he might be first. You see, he was declaring it in Jerusalem and healing people and doing miraculous things. He's do, he is the son of man. He's the son of the living God. And he takes it to the Sea of Galilee. Then he goes further and goes into the regions of the Gentiles. And he says, I'm the same here. It's for everybody. Say everybody. He's asking us to believe that. He's asking us to believe that. Hebrews chapter 11, verse six says this, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he first exists and that he rewards those who seek him. If you're searching this morning, it's a good place to be. If you're struggling in your faith this morning, this is a good place to be. If you're not sure about faith and you're kicking the tires of faith, this is a good place to be. Because you're getting the truth of who Jesus is. This is is important. The next question that Jesus would ask us, do you believe that I died for you? Verse 21 says this, from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the hands of the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed. It was part of the plan. That was part of the plan. Him dying was part of the plan. I remember uh, inviting some friends over when The Passion of the Christ first came out years ago, and they were non-believers. They they were kind of just my friends. I was like, guys, you you should watch this movie, The Passion of the Christ, with me. And they're like, cool. You seem like a nice enough guy. You're not going to, you know... Do anything weird if I come over to your house? I'm like, no, man, I'm cool. And so we watched this, and the thing that, oh, it, it just blew my mind. After the film was over, we had this conversation It was really great, but one of the things that was said was, man, he was so awesome. It was just so sad that he died. And I thought about it, and I said, well, that, that was the whole point. And Jesus knew that. He it wasn't like an accident that he died. He did that for you. He did that for me. Yeah, sure, he, he was an amazing person. I would have loved to hang with him in the first century, show him a skateboard, and be like, dude, let's skate, man. Because <laughs> Jesus was definitely a skater, 100%. I know it, when I meet him in heaven, he's gonna have a board for me. He's gonna have a board, we're gonna ride. It's gonna be sweet. Some of you guys are like, no, Jesus rides Harleys, man. Whatever. <laughs> Jesus was a skater. He wouldn't fly by everybody really fast. He would go slow on a skateboard, so he'd be like, what's up, guys? <laughs> he wouldn't be jammed by, later, dude. No, man. He'd be nice and slow, moving through the crowd on his board. would <laughs> be awesome. So he died for you. This is what he says in the scripture. And then Peter, who, who made that declaration, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, right? He says this in the book of Acts, Peter's preaching. He says, repent, meaning to turn from your sins, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You guys hear it? Do you hear what's happening? Peter's got a hold of it now. He's in the book of Acts and he's he's preaching. He's got a hold of who Jesus is and he knows what he's called to do and he knows what he's supposed to say and he knows actually what happens. Confess your sins, believe in Jesus, be baptized. What are you doing when you're doing baptism? You're going under the water to be identified with the death of Jesus and then you're coming out of the water identifying yourself with the resurrection of Jesus and in that moment, the Holy Spirit is coming into your life. And it can come in many myriad of ways, right? We can talk about all kinds of gifts of the Spirit this morning. But God does the work. It's not you or me that causes those things to take place. What did he say? Blessed are you, Peter. My Father in Heaven revealed this to you, not people. So God's got something for all of us in this. Next question he would ask, I believe, is do you believe I rose from the dead? Verse 21 of chapter 16, Matthew, on the third day be raised. So it's easy to believe that he was real because he was verifiably a real dude. Anybody that says Jesus was not real, has lost their mind. Because if you say that he wasn't real, that he was made up, then you need to believe that Plato was made up and Aristotle was made up. Because the same way we verify that those people were real is the same way we verify that Jesus was real. Okay? Can we establish that? Because there's no, there's no videos of any of the sermons. There's none of that. All we have is what people wrote down as they were hearing it and as they saw it. That's all we got. It's the same thing with Aristotle and Plato. So it's easy to believe that Jesus was a real person. Whether or not he came from God, you gotta, you gotta reconcile with that. Did he die for you? You gotta reconcile with that. But the scripture says, and the, and the early Christians said, this is what he did, and be baptized, believe, receive forgiveness for your sins, be filled with the spirit of God. Next one, that's a big one. This is what actually got Christians killed in the first century. This is really one of the, one of the flames of the fire that pushed the early church from the Holy Spirit. Do you believe I rose from the dead? Do you believe I rose from the dead? With a real body, not like a spirit, like Scooby Doo, with a sheet on, I'm Jesus, and they're like, whoa, it's Jesus. No, he was real, so real that they recorded that one of them was like, I don't believe until I see him Thomas was supposedly the last one that got to see the resurrected Christ. Everybody saw him at different different intervals. And they're like, we saw Jesus, we saw Jesus. And Thomas is like, I hate you guys. I haven't haven't seen Jesus. I'm not believing any of you guys. Thomas was like, sorry, no. I want to see the nail hands. I want to put my hand on his side. I want to see his feet. And Jesus appeared before him and did just that. And he was touched by Thomas. Thomas. So he had a body, guys. He rose from the dead. The resurrection was so vital to the early church. In fact, the Holy Spirit was just crazy about expounding this truth. I don't think, maybe Blake can correct me later, but I don't think there's another sermon in the book of Acts where that is not mentioned. Because we have sermons from Peter. We have sermons from Stephen. We have sermons from Paul in the book of Acts. And they all are saying Jesus rose from the dead. And when they took that to the Greeks and they took that to the Gentiles, they thought they were whack jobs and wing nuts. At first they were talking about this, this you know, hero, Jesus, like, oh, sounds cool, man, yeah. But he died and then he rose from the dead. Oh, yeah, right. Whatever. But the resurrection of Jesus is a foretaste of what you and I were meant for. Can I tell you that? Can I say that? It's a foretaste of what you and I were meant for. He rose from the dead in a resurrected body. Will not decay or die. Did you know the two enemies of humanity, this is, this is what is amazing about following Jesus and Christianity, the two enemies of humanity is sin. And we have laws that help govern that, but it doesn't work, and death. Those are the two things. Sin affects us all, death affects us all. And Jesus comes and he's like, I'm gonna fix all that for you guys because it's not part of the original plan. We are doing something, he's doing something new. He's doing what was intended from the beginning. He was gonna come. And this is what's cool, man. God does the work, guys. He does the heavy lifting. He does everything. Believe upon the one that he has sent. So the resurrection let me let me reel it back in. I'm sorry. I'm getting fired up. When Jesus rose from the dead, it validated everything that he said. It validated everything that he that it said that he said, and it secured our redemption. Do you understand? I mean, if someone dies, if they're like, I don't like what you say, pastor. So, like, you're done. We're not speaking that over his life at all. But, you know, you've been in experiences like that where people don't like you. I mean, this last week, there was people in Pakistan, Christians in Pakistan, had their church and their homes burned down because some supposedly somebody in their church desecrated the Quran. So thousands of people took to the streets and burnt down their church and burnt down their homes. We're talking hundreds of people, Christians, in flight for their lives. Because... They're saying Jesus rose from the dead. Paul, the guy that wrote like two-thirds of the New Testament, encountered the resurrected Jesus. He actually saw him. And he was on his way to go take out Christians. Jesus shows up, knocks him off his horse, and, and blinds him said, no, 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 it's enough of that. Sorry, you're done now. Who are you? I'm the one you're persecuting, I'm Jesus. He encountered the resurrected Christ. I don't know about you, but I'm waiting for that experience. I haven't seen him like that. But Jesus says something funny in the scripture. I don't have it here this morning, but he said, whatever you do to the least of these, you've done to me. And that's what I see alive in the body of this church. And I've seen alive in the body of this church for many years, serving the least of these. Because when you're serving the least of these, Jesus says, you're, that, that's me. Wait, what? So have you seen him? With no resurrection, guys, there's no message of Jesus. You can't export that out. And actually have Christianity stand on anything. There's nothing to stand on. It would be like me worshiping William Wallace. Which is pretty cool to think about. But I wouldn't do that. He was an amazing dude. Did some great things for Scotland. And defeated tyranny and all that good stuff. I mean, I've got Scottish heritage, so I'm tied to that. But Jesus rose from the dead. William Wallace didn't. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, listen to what... Paul says to the church in Corinth in chapter 15, he says, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ had been raised. People were arguing about whether or not there is a resurrection, whether or not you're gonna come back to life someday. And and Paul's like, emphatically, this is a cornerstone of what we believe about Christ. Christ confirmed it. He rose from the dead. If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith, is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testify about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise. If it's true that the dead are not raised, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sin. He came back, guys. He, had, he came back. And I know I've experienced him. I can't say that I've seen him in flesh and blood, but I've experienced him. I know I got, I got the floor this morning. Can I share something with you really quick? This is outside of my notes. But um, many years ago, we were getting ready to go to Santa Cruz, and we felt God calling us to that community to go and to love people to Jesus, uh, my wife and I. And we had been praying for years about that, and feeling this, this nudge in our spirits. And I went to a prayer meeting with my mom and my dad who are um, incredible prayer warriors, Terry Ayers and Carvin Ayers over there. Blessing to my life uh, for just years and years. And obviously mom, mom birthed me and raised me, so she's a blessing. Uh, I went to a prayer meeting with them and this little old lady comes up to me and we're at this prayer meeting and there was a lot of people there, worship happening and and prayer. And this little old lady comes walking up to me and she says, young man, I have a word for you. And I was like, oh boy. I said, okay. And whenever I encounter that, I just let them know I would love to hear your word, but I'll let you know if it's from God or not. Because the Spirit's gonna testify through them and it's also gonna confirm with me, correct? That's what scripture teaches. So I let that kind of rest and she's like, let's go, young man. And she's, she's like, gave me this, this, this uh, uh, vision of what I was going through in my life. She says, You've ha- your heart is wounded and you have all of these barbs around your heart and the Lord is pulling these barbs out and he's touching this, these puncture wounds in your heart and he wants to heal you. And I was like, whoo, that is like right on, I don't know what you ate for breakfast this morning, but you nailed it. You are close to Jesus. And so she nailed it, right? And I'm like, wow, that's really cool. But that doesn't quite, that almost sounds like somebody reading your fortune a little bit. It's like a fortune cookie, right? It gets better. Two days later, I'm in Santa Cruz meeting with, uh, with a man named Dr. Stephen Stiles. And uh, a blessing of God, an amazing man has been ministering in Santa Cruz County and that city since the Jesus movement in the 1960s, he started a small church in in the west side of Santa Cruz, and he's got a recovery facility there as well. And uh, so people come through that are struggling with drugs and alcohol, and they have a recovery facility attached to the church. So people come to the church, but then you go through a door, and then that's the recovery facility. And uh, he has five sons, all love the Lord, serving God, and God. I got really close with those guys; they're about my same age, and. um, Shout out for Josh. Actually, he uh, has a sandal business. Look it up on Facebook, Instagram. It's called Shama Sandals. If you want to support a Christian company that makes awesome sandals, Shama is the way to go. Um, anyway, I'm sitting in Dr. Stephen Stiles' house the next morning or a couple days later and we stayed the night. It's in the morning. We're having breakfast and I'm meeting this guy for the first time. I've talked to him on the phone. My dad in the back um, took his class, and when he was taking a drug and alcohol counseling uh, uh, program at uh, what college was that, Dad? Bethany Bethany Bible College in uh, the Santa Cruz Mountains. He graduated from there in the early '90s with a uh, degree in drug and alcohol counseling, and Dr. Stiles was teaching the class. So this guy knows his stuff, man. He's like pretty cool, and so we're chatting it up. And he's an old hippie. He's got this big beard. And uh, just a rad guy, and uh, he's like, "Man, I want you to read a couple of my books." I read, I, I wrote a couple books. I was like, "Okay, cool." And he goes and grabs a book. You want to guess what was on the cover of that book? He hands me this book and says, "Here, check it out." The title of the book was "Thorns in the Heart." It had a heart. With all these thorns and it was about recovering from wounding and recovering from addiction. You see, I came from a broken home. I came from an early church experience as a kid. My parents were amazing people. They got married really young. My mom had me when she was 16 years old. God bless her. And they they, they tried their best to do what to do to stay together, her and my dad, but they they split up. So we had this broken home experience. And I fell into drugs. I fell into getting in trouble with the law and all these brushes with, you know juvenile detention centers and not, not cool stuff. And Jesus wanted to heal some of those things. And I encountered some massive addiction in that season of my life. And when I met Jesus, that stuff began to just melt off of me, man. I stopped cussing. I was like, I cussed like a sailor. When I gave my life to Jesus on the side of the road in Roseville, my mouth changed. I don't know how it happened, but it just did. My wife, on the other hand, I um, <laughs> ah, no, I know, I know. It was, it was, it took her longer than me. And so it is going to cost me. I, I'm buy, I'll buy you lunch, baby. I'm sorry. It's a wonderful joke between us and, and it was an amazing experience, but that is how real Jesus is guys. That's how real he is. He wants to meet you right where you're at and he wants to heal you. He wants to bring you to the future that he has for you, the plans that he has for you. And it always involves healing of the wounds in your heart, of the sin in your life that's overcome you. I got two more points. You guys guys holding in with me? Okay. Jesus would ask this very simply, do you believe that I love you? Do you believe that I love you? Some of us can get that on an intellectual level and go, okay, yeah, God, God loves you, yeah. The Bible says so, yeah. We sing it, God loves you. But you know that he loves you in spite of your moods? <laughs> he loves you in spite of your addictions? He loves you in spite of your anger. He loves you just as you are, right where you're at, and not as you should be. Because you're never gonna be as you should be. Because if that was true, Jesus would not have had to die. And he would not have to, had taken over death for us by rising from the dead. He loves you so much, right where you're at. He knew that you'd be sitting in this room 2,000 years ago. He knew that I would be standing here 2,000 years ago. And that we would be hearing this word together of who he is and how he wants that to become more of a reality in our lives. The old John 3:16, man. God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. Now, you can kind of get that mixed up a little bit. You can kind of by the by the phrasing of that sentence, you can kind of think that eternal life is the goal. Yes and no. <laughs> We get it, we get it switched up. The goal is actually to be with Jesus, and when we're with Him, eternal life is just what's going to happen. Hello, I'm stealing that from Pastor over there. He likes to say hello a lot. Do you say hello when you answer the phone? I don't. Oh, you don't? I don't say it Are you serious? Oh my gosh, that's awesome. You save that for your preaching. That's fantastic. Do you believe that I love you? I'm gonna land on this, okay? Do you believe that I have a plan for you? Do you believe that I have a plan for you? So the first part of what I talked about was the who. We need to get the who right. Who is Jesus? Am I really worshiping him as Lord? Am I letting his spirit lead my life? So Peter answers correctly, right? We're going back to Matthew 16. He lays it out. It's like, yeah. And Peter's like, yeah, man, this is who you are. Jesus is like, yep, you got it right. But you know what's funny? Whenever you get revelation of who God is and what God is doing, there's another level inside of your heart that he wants to deal with. It's, it's really strange. The revelation of who God is comes and then there's this interaction with what's inside your heart. The truth of God brings things to the surface. And that's what was going on in my life in that season where I was needing healing in my heart. He was bringing things to the surface that had been dormant for a long time. Peter, after he gets the revelation right, Jesus is like, yeah. But you don't know how right you are. Because now I need to go to Jerusalem. I mean, Peter might have thought they were going all the way to Turkey or Italy. Like, we're leaving Jerusalem. We're like a hundred miles away from Jer- Jerusalem. But Peter hears that. Wait a minute. You're gonna, we're gonna what? We're gonna go back to Jerusalem and you're gonna what? You're gonna. Peter took him aside, verse 22 and 23, and began to rebuke him. Anybody ever rebuke God? That's a, that's, a, that's a bad place to be, but also a good place to be. Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. If you're a married man in, in the house, you've heard that before, I'm sure. I know I have. I have. This is where we get into trouble. We're trying to figure out God's plan for him. We're trying to figure out God's plan for him. We like to play God. We like to point out what our life should look like to him. That's what Peter was doing. He's like, no, 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 this is not the God that I'm worshiping, I'm worshiping a victorious warrior God not this meek, humble guy that's gonna go get beat up and put on a Roman cross. I'd like to suggest to you that he knows, he knows what's in your heart. He knows the doubts, he knows the fears, he knows the pain, he knows your questioning, he knows how you look at your life sometimes and say, this cannot be your plan for my life. You know, I, I, just to share a little bit more about me, I've gone through a lot of seasons of grief. I lost my dad in 05 to cancer. And then uh, two years later, three years later, lost my youngest brother uh, to a freak accident. Um, then a few years shortly after that, my grandfather was murdered. And, uh, and then shortly, uh, after, shortly before that, lost a grandmother. And this series of of grief, just a season of grief. And it was, it was wrecking me and it was wrecking my faith and I was like, what are you doing, God? How can this be the best life? I'm 47 years old right now and I just I got to confess my age. My dad went home to see Jesus at my age. I've been reconciling with that or, or, or wrestling with that this whole year. Knowing that my God, my Lord, you took my dad home to you when he was my age. And it began to flip my brain and go, what am I doing with my life? What is it that I want to do? Not like I'm going to quit my job and go to Disneyland kind of BS, but I'm talking about your thoughts, the people that you're loving, the people that you're caring for. Are you getting in their way, in the right way? Are you loving the way that he wants you to love? Because that's what it's all about at the end of the day. When the truth comes, it bites, it stings, it wounds, and it heals all in one. But it's a process that you have to submit to I would suggest to you that some of you here probably know Jesus as your savior. And that's good, but he hasn't become your Lord yet. And I believe that there's a difference. Not that one is more saved than the other, I just think one is walking closer to his heart. Because the one that would say I is just my savior and I'm gonna live however, however I wanna live You're gonna gonna have a lot of caca slinged all over you. And you're gonna have to brush all that stuff off all the time. Now we all go through it, I'm not saying I don't. We're all in in this fight together called the flesh, living in it and living in this world that's geared to make us fall and to slip. I wanna show you something real quick. Hey, uh, could you throw up that picture again? of uh, Caesarea Philippi real quick? Boy, I've gone a long time. I'm sorry guys, Everybody, everybody's booty holding up? I am sorry, oh, okay, good. That's good. I wanna, I'd, I'd love to see this place someday. I really would. Just off of this point, the origins of the Jordan River flow right through. Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River, but it flows from there all the way down to Jerusalem. And a friend of mine 15 years ago was visiting that place. And I told him, I was like, dude, he went to, he went to Jerusalem and I was like, dude, bring me something back, man. I don't care, bring me a, bring me something. Bring, and I, I collect rocks, I've always collected rocks. And that's kind of a weird thing, but I have a lot of rocks. Uh, My wife opens drawers in my desk, and she's like, there's a pile of rocks. I know. This one's from here. This one's from here. They remind me of things. It's just, it's weird. And uh, he brought me back a rock. This is it right here. And I was like, man, where'd you get this? He said, man, this is from Caesarea Philippi. This is where Jesus said, who do you say that I am? Awesome. I love it. (laughs) I thought that was somebody's phone. Oh, that was awesome, thank you, thank you. I thought that was Surrey going off. Appreciate that. This, this is from there. And I keep it on my desk as a reminder to remind me that I need to ask myself that question every day. Who do you say that I am? Because it's gonna determine how you love, how you live, how you forgive, This is the way that God sees his church. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people. Everybody in this room at one time was not a believer in Christ. But now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So the who helps you do the what? God wants to do some things in your heart. He wants to expand your heart. He wants to grow your heart. He wants to heal your heart. There's places in you that the Spirit of God, you haven't let him in. You've had that door shut. You're okay with Jesus being in the living room or probably in the closet for most of us, but nowhere else in the house. And he's waiting for you to open the door to areas. And it comes through Confession. It comes through confessing what's going on to him and even to helpful, helpful people, helpful leaders, pastors. He says you're, we're a kingdom of priests. I mean, right where you're sitting, you're a priest, a priestess. That's interesting. I didn't wake up and felt like one this morning. But that's the way that he sees you by your faith in who he is. And he's asking you to believe this morning. I'm gonna end with this. We sang it today. Jesus said this in John 14, 6. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Isn't that a little one-sided? Isn't that a little... I don't know self-righteous well he rose from the dead so he could say whatever he wants you know what i'm saying i mean i didn't rise from the dead he did and when he rose from the dead he said guys i am the way i am the truth and i am the life nobody comes to god except through me So what does that mean for other religions across the globe? I'm going to say this, and I'm going to pray really quick, okay? Because it can. I've had a lot of interactions with a lot of different people speaking Jesus all over states, and and, and especially Santa Cruz, that is, woo, boy. You go talk to people about Jesus in Santa Cruz, you get get some manifestations, and you get some crazy stuff jumping off. We had this spot in Santa Cruz, it was right outside our church, and we called it the portal because crazy people would come through this. Portal, and I think they got dropped off of a bus because there was a bus stop there and they would make their way into the church and we were affectionately known as the pancake church. We always fed people pancakes every Sunday and so you never know who you were sitting next to and they'd come in and they'd eat pancakes and you get some, whoo boy, some pretty, pretty intense people and have these conversations with them and they say, oh, you guys are just always so so one-sided. You only see one way. I want to suggest something to you truth by its very nature is exclusive can you hear that this morning the fact that i am a human being excludes the fact that i'm an orangutan contrary to what my wife would believe correct the fact that you're wearing glasses young man is you're wearing glasses. If you're not, it, it, are you guys following me? Yeah, yeah. Truth, because it's true that you're wearing glasses, right? So it excludes the fact that you're not wearing sunglasses. I'm uh, sunglasses, sorry, glasses. I just got those recently, actually, for myself, just for reading. I can see really good far away, but now I've embraced my 47 year oldness and need reading glasses. Uh, my font up here is 18, so I'm good. What? We're we're on the same team now. So can I suggest that to you this morning? I want you to remember that. When Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, nobody comes to God except through me. He was was telling us the truth. It's a hard truth to embrace. But it it is the truth. It is a true statement. If you apply the philosophical syllogism process to the statement, it is a correct statement. The fact that you're sitting down excludes the fact that you're standing. So truth by its very nature excludes the opposites. And I'll suggest one more thing. There's no religion on the planet except for one that's probably been made up in the past five years uh, through some wing nut in Santa Cruz, I'm sure. Uh, They are all exclusive. They all ascribe to a degree of their truth. Because you can't get away with making a truth statement without excluding the opposite. Are you with me? Jesus is the truth. And I want to suggest that to you. And he wants you to believe in him. I want you to go on a journey with him. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity and blessing to be here in this moment and every moment is a gift from you. I thank you, Jesus, that you love us in spite of our flaws, in spite of our faults, in spite of our sins. You knew everything that I was gonna do from from my birth to my death 2,000 years ago and you chose anyway to die for my sins. I didn't ask you to do it but you did it because of your great love. It's because of your great love that we get to know you. So Jesus, right now I ask that your love, your mercy, your grace, your truth would be alive inside of your church. I pray that there would be a renewing of faith inside each one of us. As we battle the sin, the flesh, and the world that we are gonna choose to stand upon your truths, upon your grace, upon your mercy, and let your spirit do the work that you wanna do. Help us, Jesus, to submit to that process, to let your spirit do the work because you have a plan for every single one of us. I pray, Jesus, that we would be at peace in our hearts with your plans. We would be at peace with the sky that we are sitting under in this very moment, even in the struggles, even in the pain. That you would let a peace that surpasses all understanding rule our hearts. And I pray that that peace would leave this building. And whatever we do this week through work, through school, through interactions of friends, I pray that you would give us an extra measure of your spirit and grace to love people well, to see past all the things that people dress themselves up with and to see people the way that you see them, Lord. As children, Of the living God. I just want to ask if there's anyone here this morning, maybe you've never done this before, or you you feel something in your heart stirring. You feel the Spirit of God stirring in your heart through this word that you want to say, Jesus, I want to know you more. I want to know you better. Jesus, I want you to come into my life and change me from the inside out. He is so patient. Ladies and gentlemen, he's so patient. He's waiting for you. And he's been waiting for you. If that's you this morning, I want you to do a simple thing. I'm not going to make you do anything weird. Just raise your hand or just look up at me and say, yeah, that's me. Thank Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. Jesus passionately is pursuing every one of us. And he's so patient. He's got a plan for you. If you feel comfortable, would you pray this prayer with me this morning? Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I believe that you rose from the dead. I believe that you're speaking to me right now. I want to follow you. Would you do a work in my heart? I pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen.